أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم I wanted to talk today about a I think a very very important hadith for all of us to consider and that is the hadith that uh, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari relates from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam that says, إِنَّمَا مَثَلُ الْجَلِيسُ الصَّالِحِ وَجَلِيسِ السُّوءَ كَحَمَلُ الْمِسْكِي وَنَافِخِ الْكِيرِ That the likeness of a righteous person that you sit with and a bad person that you sit with is like the seller of perfume or musk and the blacksmith in his smithy, which is the place where the blacksmith works. فَحَمَلُ الْمِسْكِ إِمَّا أَنْ يُحْذِيَكَ وَإِمَّا أَنْ تَبْتَعَ مِنْهُ So the, the musk seller or the perfume seller will either gift it to you because often when you go into a perfume uh, perfumery, they'll let you test the, the perfume. So they'll actually put some on you. And sometimes they even will have a little gift bottle that they might give you. So this is a, a beautiful uh, analogy because it's a very real thing even in today's world. Even though this was stated 1400 and, and some odd years ago, it's still applicable when you go into these places. They have their little samples that they give you as gifts for perfume. And then, or, or, you, or you buy it from him. Or at least you just get the, a good smell. And the kir is called Hanut al-Haddad. It's the place where the Haddad works, which in English was traditionally called smithy. We don't really have these type people in most modern societies anymore, but traditionally very important uh, 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 job, vocation. Uh, and then he says, uh, it, it works in the, in the first form of haraqa yahriqu or ahraqa yuhriqu. Uh, so either he burns your uh, clothes from the sparks that fly off from his forge, uh, or you'll find you'll you'll end up with some foul smell coming out of the the smithy. And so it's it's a beautiful hadith that Imam Al Bukhari and Imam Muslim relate, and there there are some really interesting aspects uh, to this hadith uh, in terms of just the the rhetorical components of it but I won't get into it I uh, what I'll will talk about is a really interesting uh, tradition that comes from it's mentioned by Sheikh Malul Ainain who actually versified it uh, that the ulama identified eight different types of settings where you sit with people so you have company. So there's these eight different types of settings that you're going to find yourself in. And each one of them, he said, you will end up uh, acquiring uh, qualities as a result of, of spending time in these companies. So depending on the type of people, the Prophet gave us the analogy of sitting with good people and sitting with bad people. But there's also just the idea of sitting with people not necessarily good or bad people, just different types of gatherings that you find yourself in. So this is what the ulama looked at, and they identified eight different gatherings, which is very interesting. So they put it into verse here, and so basically he says, 
majalisul insani situn withnatani. So the, the gatherings of people are six plus two. And this just for the the uh, the wasn't of the line. In other words, had he said eight, it wouldn't have fit in. So he said six plus two. The Quran actually uses that about seven plus three is ten. Fi kulli majlisin tunalu khaslatani. And in every gathering, you will acquire two qualities. Khasla is a, a, a it's it's a kind of a habit. It's something. It's a quality in a person. The khisalahu. And uh, so the first one, فَلَعُلَمَاءُ الْعِلْمُ ثُمَّ الْحِكْمَةِ Sitting with the scholars, you will gain knowledge and you will gain wisdom. So knowledge is, is more about not just information because knowledge tends to be information that is presented in, in, in some schematic way. That, that makes it coherent. So you can look up, uh, in, in, for instance, if you, if you look up in a dictionary, a dictionary will give you words and it will tell you the definitions of words. Uh, but dictionary science is how, how that comes about, how, how words are collated, how they're gathered, how they're... So this is the ilm as opposed to ma'luma, like some type of data. So it's knowledge, like grammar is a knowledge. Um, a noun is just data, but if you put uh, that into, oh, there's eight parts of speech, and a noun is a person, place, or thing, or an abstract idea, now you've put it into some kind of coherent, coherent form, and it becomes meaningful as a science, as a science of grammar, using ciencia in the traditional way, like ilm. Now we use science more from material sciences, but traditionally it included any type of comprehensive knowledge, knowledge that was um, formulated into uh, ideas and, and um, processes. And so he says, being with the ulama, you'll get knowledge and hikmah, which is how to apply that knowledge. So the Prophet is told, we're told that he ta that he taught the book and the wisdom to teach the book and the wisdom so hikmah is wisdom from which is to judge so it's hikmah comes out of judgment so it's judging what is the best thing to do in any given circumstance and that's the application of knowledge in the conditions or circumstances that one finds oneself in sometimes harshness is the appropriate application but other times compassion is the appropriate application. Uh, people talk about tough love. Well, tough love is not always, you, sh it, you can't always give tough love because sometimes it's actually gentle love that the child needs and not tough love. But then there's other times where that would be inappropriate. So it's really important to have that, that wisdom. And that comes from being with wise people, being around wise people and spending time with them. So being with the ulama, you will, the majlis of the ulama, the sitting or the gathering of the scholars, you're going to gain knowledge and wisdom. And then being with people that are pious, righteous people that are close to God, you're going to get a kind of detachment from the world. Because these type of people, when you're around them, it's like being in the eye of the hurricane. It doesn't matter how disruptive situations are, they don't lose it. And I'll give you one really extraordinary example of this. 
with my own teacher, uh, Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya. He was actually in uh, going on the way to the airport. In, in, he'd been at a conference, and he was driving back with his son. This is a true story. And um, the, it was very late, and they were headed to the airport. And the driver fell asleep and crashed into a telephone pole. The driver died, uh, and Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya broke his nose and was completely covered in blood. And his son broke his leg. And his son told me that he looked at his father and when he saw the blood everywhere, which he didn't realize it was all from the nose, he thought he was really severely injured and he started screaming. And uh, Sheikh Abdullah took his hand and he said, Labas, astakhartullah. Don't worry, I made istikhara before this trip. And Sheikhna told me, like, at that moment, he kind of realized who his father was. Because that's the eye of the hurricane. So when you're around those people, you see that. And, you know, I've seen that with, with several of these type of people, which are increasingly rare in our world. I think there were a lot more people like that, but they're just, they're rare to find. Marabd al-Hajj was certainly like that. And so being around those people, you, you learn to not get discombobulated, to not be in a situation where you're nonplussed, where you're uh, confused about things, where you're vexed by the world in the same way, which doesn't mean you're always, uh, it's, it's, it's not... There are times where you have to be firm. There are times where you need to be strong. There are times where you need to get uh, show some uh, righteous indignation. So it's not, but internally there's a type of of quietude that's palpable around those people. So that's one of the things that you'll get from being around them is this detachment from the the trials and tribulations, from the vicissitudes of the world that really vexes most people that don't have access to that to that place where they can be um, you know and I, I mean I amazing uh, because I, just to give you an example that it's not always uh, the case like I was saying this there's times to be firm and resolute and Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya and this is on YouTube but we only found out about it from the Libyan ambassador who had um, he was with uh, Gaddafi because when uh, when Sh uh, Sheikh Abdullah was the vice president of Mauritania, the president Mukhtar Waldeda uh, sent him to Libya on a special uh, mission from Mauritania, and so when when he the Libyan ambassador relates this story after he was uh, retired. And it was on one of the Arab news channels. But even the sons of, she of Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya didn't know this about this. So he, when he, he delivered the message from the president of Mauritania, and then when he finished, he said to uh, Colonel Gaddafi, he said, that was from the president. Now this is from me. He said, I'm, sp I'm not speaking on behalf of Mauritania. I'm speaking on behalf of Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya. And he said you need to make Tawbah. 
and uh, he's, the ambassador said Gaddafi got very upset. And he said, well, what are you doing? Because he, he, he wasn't used to being confronted like that. And he said, you've said things like speaking about Abu Huraira, the great companion, and finding fault in his hadith, saying that Qul shouldn't be part of the Qur'an. These things are unacceptable, and you need to make tawbah, and I'm not going to leave until I hear you make tawbah. And he, they actually, he said it went back and forth, and finally uh, he said, Qaddafi said that, <laughs> Astaghfirullah, and he said, Atubu Allah. And then he, uh, he's, he left. And so that's one of the things people don't know about Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayyid, because that was a private conversation that we wouldn't even know, have known about because he never told anybody. The only way we found out about it was from the Mauritanian ambassador who was there in, in the uh, private meeting between because the, they're always the ambassadors are always there when there's an official. So anyway, my point being is that it's not all this kind of this peaceful, quietist approach. I mean, there's times when there's a firmness there so so that's the the blessing of being with the awliya and then baraka of just there is a palpable expansion of time that people feel uh, there's a lot of blessings that just go with being around these people and so then he said well and being around poor people it gives you contentment and patience because Poor people, when, when you see people in, in, in less uh, advantageous circumstances than you, you find yourself in, you actually feel grateful for what you have. One of the problems with our country is that, that there's so many people are always looking at lifestyles of the rich and famous. They're looking at, at the houses of people that are far more wealthy than they are, and then they feel discontent keeping up with the Joneses, as they used to say. This idea, oh, somebody just got a new car, and I don't have a new car, my car's old. And this is a, a real problem. But when you look at people below you, it's very different because you feel grateful for what you have. If you lose an eye, you can look at people with both eyes and, and feel, oh, I, I you know, just have all that remorse. But then if you look at a blind person who doesn't have any eyes, you feel grateful about just being able to see with the one eye that you have. So it's always looking in the dunya. The Prophet ﷺ told us to look at people below us. But in the akhirah, in, in terms of righteousness and, and, and pious behavior, you should always look at people over you. So if you read the Qur'an once a month, then you should think about the salihun that read it every three days or the people that read it once a week or even the people that read it twice a month. Uh, if if you um, pray uh, the uh, the the uh, the nafila, then you should think about the people that you know are giving all the charity that they give on top of their nafila, because they're not just uh, benefiting themselves; they're benefiting other people. So these are the type of things that are really important about just being patient uh, with poverty or with the conditions you're in. And then he says, "Wal umara minhu kibru." And then being around rulers, you will get the eye service, this idea of showing off of um, a type of uh, vanity that enters into the heart and you want other people to see uh, your, your special uh, status and position and also arrogance, kibru.
So they're related, both riya and kibr. And the Prophet called the riya a shirk al-khafi, because you do things to be seen doing them. And uh, people like to be around power. There's, there's, a, there's a, a real attraction for people because it's a, it's a type of magnifying glass for them. So they feel bigger because they're around big people. It's always like if you go to like if, if you know, if you're a, if you go to a, a gas station where they still have people to pump the gas, you're not going to ask if you could have your picture taken with them. But then when you see the president of the United States, you want your picture taken or something like that. That's that's a disease of the heart. Because what is it? Why, 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 why have these people mesmerized you? Because you think somehow that they have power and that just the fact that you're next to them, that that gives you some kind of power. And I'm, that's why I think one of the worst things about this current crisis that we're in is, is cameras. I think they've really added a very, very sick dimension to people's behavior. Everybody wants a picture. And I remember I was in year, many, many years ago in Morocco. And, and because traditionally, believe it or not, most ulama thought that pictures were at least makru. Uh, there are a lot of scholars considered them haram. And, you know, it's called taswir. And I, I, I have, like somebody like um, Abdul Azim Sanders, who's an extraordinary photographer, something like, like what he's doing is an extraordinary service to the community because he's preserving images of really, really important people. And I wish we had a picture of Imam al-Ghazali. I wish we had a picture of Imam Nawawi. Uh, and it's something really important. But those, but that's, those people are important. Like I think a professional photographer has a role. But this idea of everybody becoming a photographer there's something really problematic about that. But anyway, this Moroccan, they wanted to take a picture and he didn't want the picture. And he just, he put his hands on his heart and he clicked. Like, take a picture with your heart. In other words, be present. I mean, you, you, now you go to events and people literally are looking through their camera. They're watching a live uh, speech or something through their camera. It's mediated reality. It's just amazing. I mean, that you have to marvel at that situation. And now, like they showed, I saw a picture of the Pope, like in 2001 or something, and everybody was, and then they showed the, the recent where he's in the, in the square. Everybody had their cameras up. So this is a new phenomenon where people are really, I think, divorced from reality. They've entered into these pixelated, digitalized worlds where they're just not well. And so, and then he says the sufaha'u, the, the, the gathering was sufaha'u qillatul adyani wallahu thumma majlisun niswani, that the sufaha that you will gain, uh, you will lose your faith, religion. That's one of the qualities of being around. The safiya is, is, is really, they're fools. It's, it's, the, it's people that are foolish. The safaha is khifat al-aqal. It's not having any depth or gravity. The, the human being is called ahadu uh, thaqalain. He's one of the two weighty ones. So the thaqalan are the ins and the jinn. In other words, human beings have gravitas. I mean, one of the things that I pointed out before, and maybe people have heard this from me, but it's always fascinated me that 
when you see pictures of people from the 19th century and even the early 20th century, especially the ones that where they're posing for the camera, they're always serious. You never see them smiling. It's you be hard pressed. I have seen a few pictures, but it's very rare to see a picture of people smiling. And for me, what I get from, especially Native Americans, if you've ever seen Curtis's, uh, um, there was a great uh, photographer of the Native American peoples who went around taking pictures of all these great uh, Indian chiefs. And like, uh, when you see them, they're, they're just amazing. The dignity, there's so much human dignity in these people. Um, and I just feel like it's as if they were saying I'm a serious person. Life is serious. You know, now people say, oh, smile, smile. And it, I just, I don't, I don't really want to smile. It would bother me. People take pictures when I'm smiling and they put it up on the internet. It really bothers me because I don't, I, I really, I want to be, if I am remembered, I would want to be remembered as a serious person, not as a frivolous person, which doesn't mean the proposal I smiled. And, and it's good to smile, smiles are beautiful. But when your image is this idea of having a permanent image, how do you want to be seen? I don't think the peoples of the past would have wanted to be seen grinning or smiling. They would have wanted to be seen in, 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 with a kind of gravitas, a seriousness. That, that's just my view on it. But you can even see it in the great portraits. And, and, and also, if you go to Rome, and you go into and see the statues of all the emperors, none of them are smiling. It's very interesting. It's a very recent thing that human beings are doing. And I think part of it is, it just, it has to do with that loss of gravitas, of, of, uh, of weightiness. And so those are the sufaha. So you'll, you'll gain from them a loss of religion and lahu. Lahu is something that has no benefit in it. And to be honest with you, we need recreation. And, and the Prophet did mention in a Sahih hadith about a wedding they were going to, and he asked, Is there any lahu? And he, because the Ansar like lahu. So lahu has its time and place, and we all need that kind of recreation because the weightiness of life can also wear, wear you down. But when you're in the gathering of these people, that's all you get. And there's people that that becomes. One of the things about if you if you watch talk shows, now it's all frivolity. They say nothing. You can watch uh, a talk show and they just say stupid things for uh, an hour or half hour, however long they're on. And they're vacuous, empty people. They have literally nothing to say. And at best... They have a kind of wit like that they banter about. So the more witty they are, the better the talk show host uh, uh, will have with them. So they'll have somebody who's very clever uh, come on and they like them. But overall, they say nothing. Whereas all you have to do is just, and I'm not, but if you, this is just an example. If you look at, uh, if you look at Ayn Rand, who I am in no stretch a fan of, Ayn Rand, a uh, uh, horrible philosopher, um, really a pseudo-philosopher. But if you look at Johnny Carson's interview with Ayn Rand, which, which is on the internet, they had a serious conversation. So there were times when these 
talk show hosts before would actually, they could be serious. It's almost impossible for them now. They have to make fun of everything. There's this kind of frivolity of just saying nothing. Um, and so that's, that's the sufaha, just being around these people. And then, and usually when, when you see uh, women mentioned like this, it goes both ways. So it's, it's basically going both ways. That if men sit with women or if women sit with men, he says they'll get dhullu uh, they, wal-asyanu. There's a, there's a type of... Dhul um, uh, is kind of where, where you... There's a type of uh, humiliation that happens, that occurs uh, when, when there's inappropriate... Um, and this is talking about inappropriate gatherings. Then people, the woman will have her worth diminished and the man will end up also, because he's diminishing the worth of the woman, he ends up diminishing his own worth. So there's just this kind of unfortunate uh, trade-off that takes place. And then Isyan is the second one, which is disobedience, because the Prophet said, if you, if you sit with the opposite sex who's not directly related to you or, or through marriage, then shaitan is, is the, he's, he's the third one. And that's why after that he says, Kama bidaka za'ma shaitanu. So he's saying that's shaitan. Is, uh, he, 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 he knows that that's true. Uh, and then uh, the gathering of children, there's going to be play, and laughing, because that's, that's what children do. They play and they laugh. And it's a wonderful world and a wonderful space for children. But when uh, Paul says, when we were children, we did the things that children do. Now that we're men, let us do the things that men do. So it's from the New Testament, but it's, it's an interesting statement because a lot of people want to remain children all their lives. One of the things most fascinating to me about when you look at pictures from the Renaissance, all the children's pictures show them dressed in adult clothes. And it's very interesting because children were just little adults and they were treated like that from a very early age. They, they, this idea of just staying a child. Now you have adults that wear children's clothes. It's amazing. It's the exact opposite. So everywhere you look, there's people walking around in in shorts and t-shirts and things that really are more appropriate for children, even though really children should be dressed in dignified ways as well. But that's one of the really bizarre things about modern people is they dress so badly. And the reason they dress badly is because they dress for themselves. Whereas traditionally you dressed for other people, you didn't dress for yourself. It's a kind of charity that you give to other people by dressing well. And one of the things that uh, my brother, who, who, who was a lawyer for the state of California, one of the things that he told me is that it used to really strike him as fascinating how differently he was treated when he was dressed well, as opposed to dressing like in jeans and a t-shirt or something. When he was in the city, if he had to wear his lawyer suit uh, then he said people treated him completely differently. And so, as the bard said, you know, clothes oft, you know, apparel oft declares the man, that the way people dress really says something about them. And traditionally, Muslims, the way they dress basically said, I am a khalifa, like I am 
God's creation. I am a steward. I am I'm a caliph here on earth. The way the woman dressed was, I am a chaste person. I am a pious person. This, this is what they declared through their dress. Whereas now what they declare is that I'm an ins insignificant, vacuous, meaningless person who has no dignity at all. And to, to even prove it more, I'm going to paint all over this extraordinary skin that my creator gave me with really bad art and then take a picture of it and place it up on the, and then now they're, now because the poor people in the old days, the rebel just had one tattoo. Now because everybody has tattoos, the rebel has to get a whole bunch of tattoos. But now because they're even getting face tattoos because they're running out of places. So now they're putting horns in their head and, and it's just amazing what they're doing. Poor people. I mean, you have to have com compassion. This, this is compassion because Iblis has just wreaked havoc on our species. Because even traditional peoples, one of the reasons why Bedouin tattooed in the past, Bedouin tattooed because there was so much child kidnapping. And so it was a way, so if you go like to a place like Libya or Sudan, they have scars that they put on the tribes because they used to kidnap and then they would sell into, you know, it was what they call, what we now call trafficking. So they used to sell them as slaves and things. So there was really dark people. Uh, dark metaphysically you know, nefarious people and and so that's why they would do that they would put the tattoos on so they could identify them as their own tribe and then it would be much harder to get away with things like that uh, they didn't do it like for other reasons than that and then also like if you look at the maori people um, they were warrior people so they actually did that to scare their enemies so they had reasons for doing it. They didn't just simply do it. And then if you look also, they did it symmetrically. They always did symmetrical things. So those are Aboriginal peoples. But the Prophet ﷺ, I mean, that's one of the things that Islam came to do was to, to teach people what God wants for us and what he doesn't. And, and, and we've been honored with skin. We're called bashar, which means the skinned creature. Bashara is skin. And so we, we don't have feathers and fur. Allah has honored us with skin. And the way we honor that honoring is, is that we, we have clothes. And the more civilized people are traditionally, the more clothed they were. Mark Twain said naked people have very little uh, power in this world. And it, what he meant was Aboriginal peoples. You know, they, they tend to be victimized by uh, people with clothes on. So anyway, those are, those are uh, some thoughts about that. And then finally, he says, Wealthy people, you will get covetousness, you know, holding on to the things you have, and then desire for things you don't have. So this is what our scholars have identified as the different types of gatherings that you will find yourself in. So whenever you're in a gathering, look around and see which one of the eight it happens to be and just know that each one of them has things that you're going to acquire from them. And uh, it's very useful to know. 
سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك